0: In John chapter 13, last week, we studied the statement that Jesus loved his own who were in the world to the end. And the larger context is that Jesus is going to his death and he's preparing his disciples for that event. But the immediate demonstration of that love... Is the love feast that they celebrate together, where Jesus' humility allows him to love his disciples by washing their feet? And this week, we're going to return to that same passage, and we're going to learn from Peter how not to respond. It was one of the delightful things about Peter is that generally Peter teaches us how not to respond to things. Um, he's like the the son who says he won't do it when the father says, go mow the yard, but then later goes and mows the yard, right? Uh, So it's not just that we learn from Peter how not to respond, but that we also see what repentance looks like. For the sins that are, he's out there, with. You know, his sin is just out there in front of everybody. And, and he's, he's so helpful to us that way. And yes, again this morning, uh, we learn by watching Peter how not to respond. But we're also going to look further at that foot washing that Jesus does. And seek to understand the meaning of it, right? There is more to Jesus washing the feet of his disciples than we saw last week where we were looking at the fact that his love made him be willing to serve in very humble ways his disciples. So there's, there's that very practical thing that we saw last week, which is love one another. Love one another in such a way that there's nothing that's too low for you to do for one another, right? But there's also this theological side to it where there's there's a deeper meaning to what Jesus is doing that he explains in the process to Peter and to the rest of the disciples and also recorded for us by John. So please stand for the reading of God's word from John chapter 13. We'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper... The devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, "'If I do not wash you, you have no part with me.'" Simon Peter said to him, "'Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head.'" Jesus said to him, "'He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you.'" For he knew the one who is betraying him. For this reason he said, "'Not all of you are clean.'" So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. I do not speak of all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but it is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. From now on I am telling you before it comes to pass, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives Me. And he who receives Me receives him who sent Me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The central meaning of the foot washing is, as we saw last week, that love leads to selfless, humble service. So Jesus is demonstrating by his actions to the apostles, his disciples, that they need to stop being so self-centered. They need, to be stop, they need to stop worrying about their own honor, about which of them is the most important disciple, about which of them is the greatest. And instead of worrying about that, we are to imitate him in this kind of loving service that puts other people's needs ahead of our own desire to be important. And Jesus explains all of this in verses 13 through 17 that we just read. He asks them if they understand, and then he gives them the explanation, right? But before that, while Jesus is in the process of washing the disciples' feet, Peter responds with astonished resistance to the idea of Jesus washing his feet. And it is in that earlier time while Jesus is talking with Peter, that we get an explanation of the washing that he's doing, that it's meant to demonstrate something else as well. It's meant to demonstrate something else as well. This act of service that Jesus is performing is not just physical, the service that he is performing to them is not simply about getting the dirt off their feet, right? Now, obviously, we saw last week that part of the the deeper meaning, and I've already said this a couple of times now this morning, part of the deeper meaning is, is it's to demonstrate how we are to love and serve one another, right? But there's also something more about the washing. The washing is not simply uh, an example of something that Jesus could do for his disciples to show show them the type of humility. The washing itself also has deeper meaning. And this is what Jesus begins to explain to Peter earlier on when Peter uh, reacts with this... No way. Peter does not understand either part of what Jesus is teaching through this foot washing. Which is what Jesus says in verse 7. What does he say? He says, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. This this double uh, double intent, if you will, that that Jesus has with this washing, is uh, goes together. You really can't separate out him saying you need to love one another and the the explanation that he gives to Peter of what this washing, the imp- why this washing is important, why Peter actually has to be washed. Why, Peter, why it's necessary that Peter submit to Jesus washing his feet. But Peter responds by rejecting it. And I understand his response. And I, I think that probably most of you re- understand that kind of response as well. Um, having somebody serve you out of love rather than because of their position beneath you, right? If you've got somebody who serves you because they're your servant, you pay them. You pay them to come clean your house. You don't feel any guilt whatsoever about them coming in and finding the place a mess and them starting to clean up, right? They come into the house, and it's a mess, and you think to yourself, well, that's what I pay them for, and then they clean it up. But if somebody comes into your house, and you don't pay them, and they arrive and they say to you, can I help you by cleaning up your living room? Can I, can I help you by cleaning up this, this mess? Then immediately what you want to say is, it's not a mess. Well, you don't want to say that to them, but you want to say no, right? There's you're embarrassed about the fact that there's a mess. It's, it's kind of shameful. And so the fact that they feel the need to offer this thing to you requires you to acknowledge that there's this dirty mess. And that's embarrassing. And so you'd rather they just ignore the mess. Everybody ignore the mess. And let's just pretend like there's not a mess, and nobody offer to clean up the mess. Then nobody has to be embarrassed, Right? But Jesus comes and he serves out of love rather than because it's his obligation. It's not his place to do it. That's what everybody knows. So it's not just that he's coming and he's doing it out of love. It's that he is above Peter. And so Peter recognizes not just that it's, there's no obligation on Jesus' part to do it. But Peter's also recognizing that if there's anybody who should be washing his feet, it's not Jesus. Peter should be washing Jesus' feet. Peter should have been the one to volunteer for that job of washing everybody's feet, right? Right? But instead of responding with that, under, with that kind of understanding, he really, it hasn't clicked yet. He doesn't actually understand it fully yet, and so he says, no, no, don't do it. He's still under the impression that it's better to just let it go undone <laughs> than to have somebody who isn't obligated serve out of love. When we're used to having everything be a power struggle, when we're used to having everything be a matter of obligation and how you're going to get what you want out of others, where everything is a tit for tat, a trade for this, quid pro quo, you know. When when this is how we've been living, and this is what the disciples have been doing prior to this, they're fighting about who's the greatest, right? So they're jockeying for who's going to be able to get these kinds of positions. And, you you know, what do you do when you're trying to get things from other people? This is called politics, right? This is what you don't want in the workplace, the kind of workplace politics where where there's these kinds of of trades to be able to get yourself into this other position, and ultimately where, you, you know, you can end up, on the top, not having to wash feet, right? When that's what you're used to, then an act of service that flows out of love is a brutal swipe against everything that that you've been doing when you're acting that way, this is especially true that it is, it, is very, it, it, it is very humbling, not just to be lovingly served by somebody, but to be lovingly served by somebody who is your superior. Peter is very much under Jesus. And he knows that. He's just going, no, don't do it. I don't want you to do it. Well, I've had my feet washed before, twice. Once in a church service here in good old modern U.S. of A. And nobody needed their feet washed when we did this in the church service that I was at. Everybody's feet were clean, right? Now, granted, there undoubtedly were some people there who had stinky feet. Because stinky feet is just a part of feet, right? Some people have them. But nobody needed their feet washed. And yet, still, there's no avoiding because of the fact that feet are feet, and some of them are stinky. There's no avoiding the fact that washing somebody else's feet is a lowly thing to do. Even when you're in America where everybody's got perfectly covered feet and there's no dust in the roads and there's certainly no manure in the roads and all of the things that are different about the USA today in comparison to 2,000 years ago where Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples where they would have been wearing sandals, and they would have been caked with the dust and grime and nastiness that gets on your feet when they get sweaty, and you don't have socks and shoes on, and you don't have clean roads, it's a totally different thing today than it is back then, right? But just the same, it's, it's still humiliating to have somebody... You know, like, wipe your feet off. Am I right? How many of you, I remember I asked last week, how many of you ever had somebody do this? It's, was, was, was it humiliating? Was it uncomfortable? Let's just put it that way. Did you, how many of you have had your feet washed? Hands up. Okay, how many of you were just just happy with it and, and felt totally comfortable? All the hands go straight down. It's because it's, it's awkward, right? Because somebody else is doing something for you that is lowly. And you just, you just have to let them do it. And we're not used to that. So I had my feet washed. It was awkward. It was embarrassing. I survived. The other time, though, that I had my feet washed, I was out in the African bush where people live today almost exactly the same way they did at the time of Jesus. Clothes are more like ours than they were like Jesus. But overall, you know, if you took a picture of somebody, a farmer, say, at the time of Jesus, and you took a picture of a farmer, say, out in the bush of Ethiopia today, they're doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same ways. They've got an ox, and they've got a stick with a sharpened end, and they're using that as the plow, and they're walking behind it in the mud, probably barefoot, maybe with sandals. And this is the community that I was in. It was a farming community. pastors had gathered from around the area, walking for miles, to study Old Testament survey under a friend of mine, a missionary, who would drive to the area and camp for a week to teach these men. And then they would set up another time a month or two out, and he'd come back and he'd camp for a week in a tent and teach them again. Again. So who washed our feet? some women of the village so it's a little christian village and all of a sudden after dinner there was they were they were just washing our feet and thankfully i had a friend there you know who could tell me a what was about to happen and b what was going on and c how to respond to it right I mean, that's helpful. And he said, essentially, now they're going to wash your feet. Ready or not, here it comes. And so, you know, I had to take off my shoes and my socks, and they washed my feet. And it was a very different thing having your foot washed by somebody who knows what foot washing is supposed to be compared to foot washing that happened here in the United States. Foot washing here in the United States, nobody knows what in the world they're doing. They're like, uh, some water uh, and, some, and I'll wipe it off. Okay, next. Right? But these women were practiced at foot washing. And they were practiced at foot washing for the very reason that this was a necessary part of their life still. Because they walked in the dirt and the mud with sandals and animal feces all scattered around. It was part of their life, just like it was part of the life of the disciples, that there was foot washing. And so you know what? Foot washing is a, a dirty, grimy, nasty affair. And it's, and it's something that uh, is actually somewhat painful <laughs> when done the way foot washing is done, actually done. It requires you to get through the mud and the, and the muck and the dirt and the grime. And so there they are with, with their bare hands and they are scrubbing up and down on your foot hard, wiping back and forth. And, and if, you, if you're thinking of the hands of you know, uh, somebody who lives in the United States, you're thinking of the wrong kinds of hands. If you duct tape Brillo pads to their hands, these are the hands of these women. They, they cook over fires, and they work hard in the fields, and, and so their hands are very, very hard and calloused. And so I lost a substantial amount of skin and hair off of my legs in the process of this foot washing. It hurt. I was shocked. I was not expecting this, right? I didn't know what was coming. And the irony, of course, is that still my feet didn't need it. (laughs) Because I was walking around wearing long socks and big hiking boots that went up underneath my pants. Not only were my feet untainted by dirt... But so were my legs. As a matter of fact, by getting my feet washed, I stood to get my feet more dirty than they started out because they were going to be wet. And when your feet are wet and you're in this dusty kind of dry environment, what happens? They attract the dirt and the dust. (laughs) And so it was awkward, and it was embarrassing again. And I truly understood the service of Jesus Christ in a way I never had before. For a variety of reasons. One, because I finally understood what foot washing was for the first time. But two, because I saw it actually demonstrated by these women in a way that we never could here in the United States. And it's not simply because um, there it actually made sense. Because remember, did it make sense for them to clean my feet? No, still didn't make sense. And yet, even though they knew that as well as I did, I mean, I just, it was so embarrassing sitting there with this woman washing my feet. And she's like doing her best to scrub them, you know what? Scrub the white off of me. (laughs) She knows there's nothing there to clean away, and and yet there she goes. She she does this act of service in spite of the fact that it's not necessary. And she was willing to do that for me in spite of the fact that it was completely unnecessary. and it made their service all the more loving. They didn't avoid the service just because I didn't need it. And so with Jesus, his love, his service to the disciples was not simply a case of, well, somebody has to do it. And so I'm going to lead by example, right? It's the same with these women that served us. As if there isn't enough that they've done for me. Cooking my meals. I mean, I'm, I'm living there camping, but they are providing... All of the food, all of the cleanup, they're doing all kinds of stuff. Do they really need to do this unnecessary thing for me too? And so I wanted to reject their service. Just like Peter wanted to reject Christ's service, right? Right? So how do we not respond? Remember I said we're going to learn from Peter how not to respond? Well, probably none of you are going to face the kind of situation that I faced of being in the middle of the bush in Africa and having a a godly Christian woman wash your feet, right? But, Is there Christian-loving service that happens here? Absolutely. Are there people who are seeking to serve you? Yes, there are. Are there people who are seeking to serve you who are better than you? Well, for most of us there are. Those women were better than me. You you understand what I'm saying? How are we going to respond? Well, Peter responds with great humility. Oh, no, 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 there's no need. No, no, no. No, 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 no. You should never do that for me. Is that great humility? No. True humility requires you to be willing to be served by others. Even those you already owe a lot to. What did Peter owe to Jesus? Everything. And the difficulty with that is that The more that people serve us, the more we are tempted to be embittered towards them for the amount that we feel we owe to them. When you feel that people have done a lot for you, eventually you reach a point where you're like, you know, people have done enough for me. I really don't want to feel like I have a continue, you know, continually growing debt of obligation to the love of others. I'd rather it just stop at this level. I know I can't ever pay it back anyway, but could we just have that debt stop growing? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? We, that's, that's not humility. That's Peter's response. Peter's looking at Jesus and going, you know, uh, you've done enough. Let's just stop it here. Let's not also add on there that you got on your knees and wiped my feet down. And that's just too much. But what is that? Well, that's pride. It's our pride that prevents us from being indebted to somebody through their service of love. It is refusing to learn the lesson that Jesus is seeking to teach of not keeping track of these debts, of who owes who what, because these are debts of love. These are, this is service of love, right? And so there is... There is no debt to be repaid. If we are humble, we will allow people to serve us and to continue serving us. <clears throat> I find myself doing this, I, I, I mean, when, you, when you, it's easy with Peter and thinking about foot washing to make this all into big stuff right but our pride starts small or or i should say our pride applies to both big and small things right and just this last week as i've been as i've been preparing i was thinking about how often i do this i respond this way that peter responds where somebody will offer me a glass of water and i'll be too proud to say to accept it It's absurd to lie and say, no, I'm, no, I'm fine, thanks, or, or, or to say, no, I'll get it myself. They are loving you. They are offering you something good. Be honest enough with them and with yourself to say whether or not you want it. Whether or not you need it. And, and, if they, and if you do, then don't be proud, but be humble and accept their loving service from you. Now, are there times to say no, to refuse to receive something from somebody, a gift? Yes. Yes. There are, and if you think about the Proverbs, the warnings about uh, eating with the rich versus eating with the poor, a lot of it comes down to love or whether this is coming from love or not, right? But that's all to the side. Get your pride out of the way and accept the service of others that's coming out of their love for you. Now, what does that service look like? Well, it can look like all kinds of things. In this case, it looks like Jesus washing their feet. But a lot of times, the service that people are providing to us, the way that they are loving us, and giving of themselves to us does not come about as an offer of a cup of water, but it comes out as a rebuke of our sin or an exhortation to turn aside from some behavior or a disciplinary act right and so love loving service can take all kinds of different forms it's all well and good when it's something nice like a hey you want a sandwich you want some you want some water But when it's, let me sit down with you again and talk to you about this. And you're thinking, no, 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 no. Not only do I not like sitting down and talking with you about this because it's uncomfortable and unpleasant and I don't want to think about my sin again or I don't want to think about having to fight it or what that's going to look like. Not only that, but I already owe you so much. No, I'm done. You children, you go through a, a, an age where, oh, we're like two, three, four, where you learn and you're growing and you discover that you can do things for yourself, right? And, and so mom goes to pick you up and put you in the car and you say, what? I can do it. Or if you're in a, a, a bad mood or just a naughty child, not oh, not I can do it, but I can do it myself, right? Now, we've all gone through learning to do things ourselves, and this is a necessary part of life, and, it's, and you need practice, and so children learn to assert themselves and attempting to do things themselves, and this is a good thing, right, that, that we learn, that we learn to do things ourselves. And yet, when we're loved by somebody, and they're seeking to do something for us, an awful lot of the time, especially when they are above us, like our parents, we don't understand why they're doing what they're doing, or why they're offering the help that they're offering. And you older kids have even experienced this with younger kids, where you try to help them keep from disobeying. And you put your arms around and say, don't touch it, you know. And, and you're trying to keep them from getting a spanking, right? You guys ever done that? You see a four-year-old grab a one-year-old, wrap the arms around, don't, and and then... They get knocked over, and they bang their head, and the one-year-old turns around and hits the four-year-old, and the four-year-old's crying. and right. This is, this is the result of, ultimately, rejection of help because we don't understand why we need help, or we're intent on not being helped, that we don't need this. And so Peter is convinced that he doesn't need this. I don't need your help in this area, Jesus. This is unnecessary. Well, what do we learn from this about being loved by God? True humility toward God does not declare that His service to us is unnecessary. True humility is willing to receive service from God in the way that God has sent it and not reject it. Peter was not willing for Christ to love him in that way. He was demanding that Christ could only be and do what Peter expected. What Peter felt was necessary. What Peter understood. And God's loving service to us is often as far beyond our understanding as the one-year-old being helped by the four-year-old, not to mention the 16-year-old or the mom, or the dad. True humility does not declare God's service to us unnecessary. Now, how do we declare God's service to us unnecessary? Well, what are the services that God has provided? One of the primary gifts that God has given us for, for loving service to us is the church, right? And how many people look at the church and say, I don't need that, God. I just need to do this on my own. I just need to get my act together. I, just, I, I need to just get my, you know, I've got the strength with God's help alone to do this. And God says, no, I gave you the church to lovingly serve you. This is not being humble. And in fact, what Jesus says to Peter is what I would say to those people rejecting the church. What does Jesus say to him? If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Those who reject the church of Jesus Christ reject Jesus Christ. And this is what we see at the end, really, when Jesus says, He who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Who did Jesus send? He sent apostles, pastors, teachers, evangelists to, to what? To establish his church. And God's service to us is often beyond our understanding. <clears throat> and we often declare that it's unnecessary. His discipline. No, 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 God. This is this really I understand the church that's necessary, but discipline that's unnecessary. I'll stop now. I won't do this anymore. And Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. Well, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And then Peter goes, okay, fine, right? Fine, then wash all of me. You don't, don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my hands, wash all of me. And this is what we do with this is what we do with God too, right? We get angry at Him saying, "Here's how I'm going to serve you." First, we say, "No, no, no," and He says, "Yes," or, "You have no part with me." And then, and then we flip around and we say, "Okay, fine. I guess it is necessary, but I'm still going to be in charge, and in, and I'm going to be the one that determines what's necessary." And so, if you say this, then that means that I don't just need you to wash my feet, but I also need you to wash my hands and my head. So what are you doing then? You're turning to God and you're saying, okay, it is necessary, but more than what you have provided is necessary. I actually need more help than that. And And so it is with kids when you're helping them get dressed, right? First, they're trying to yank it on their head themselves and they're trying to put their head through the arm and it doesn't work and they're intent on doing it themselves. And then you decide that you're going to help them. And they're resistant. Trying to get away from you and so and then and then you say no, I will help you. And if they're still being if they're still being bad, then what do they do? Now all of a sudden they need help standing, too. Right? They go completely limp. Yeah, yeah, I need, fine, I need your help. And also, I can't do anything to help you get me dressed. Go straight from I don't need any help to you have to do everything for me. Right? And isn't this what we do with God? Isn't this what we do with our parents? Isn't this what we do with those who lovingly try to serve us? You, the person comes into your house and says, can I help you clean this up? And at first you're like, I don't want to be embarrassed like this. And then you want to turn around and you want to just say, I can't possibly be expected to keep my house clean. This is, it's a good thing you came to help. I I really, unless somebody comes and helps, there's no hope of me actually Maintaining my house. It's such a silly, continued rejection of Jesus' help when Peter says that. Fine, wash my head and my hands. Jesus is going, you don't need your head cleaned. You don't need your hands cleaned. Your feet are dirty. That's why I'm cleaning your feet. And now that requires us to look at the meaning of that cleaning, that foot washing. What else does it mean? Jesus' response, when Peter rejects it, makes it makes it clear that this is anything but A, your feet are dirty, I guess I'll clean them event. Jesus says that if Peter won't let him clean his feet, he cannot have any part with him. This is not because Peter's feet stink, and Jesus is going to say, go away, your feet stink. I don't want you here. This is not a physical, you see, this is not a purely physical event. This doesn't have to do with the fact that either Peter's feet need to not be caked in mud or you can't have any part with Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying there, right? This isn't really about Peter's feet any more than it's about our feet. This is about Peter's need and our need for ongoing sanctification. In the context, Jesus is... They're with the twelve, right? His apostles, the disciples. And they were true Christians. They were people who had believed, and yet they needed further washing of their pride. They needed further washing of their grasping after honor among men and before God, right? Right? And so through this foot washing, Jesus was teaching them the necessity of loving service of one another. And for Peter or us to refuse to be further sanctified in this area, to learn, refusing to learn what Jesus is teaching at that that point of service, right? Is to refuse further sanctification, and that is to refuse to have anything to do with Jesus. That's why Jesus says, either I wash you or you've got no part in me. Either you learn from this, either you continue to grow in sanctification, either you continue to be willing to be taught by me, or you're not my disciple." And so regardless of how far you've come in your faith, regardless of whether you were baptized as a baby or baptized last week, regardless of your family background, regardless of your church attendance, if we refuse the washing, the continuous washing of growing sanctification... Then we are refusing, rejecting Jesus. And yet, Jesus knows who is chosen. That's what he says. And why does that matter? Well, it matters because he will finish the work that he began in you if you are clean. Daily sin makes our feet dirty. Right? If we are if we are all clean, then it's just our feet that are dirty. We are not we, we do not require justification again. We do not require baptism every time we sin. Right? We do not need that kind of washing again where we are transferred out of death and into life, where we're transferred out of darkness and into light, where we are regenerated. If we have been regenerated, if we have been baptized into Christ, then the daily sins of our life are indeed sins and they do indeed dirty us. But they do not change us into non-Christians who need to be washed again, right? One baptism, once for all, for the remission of sins. And yet that baptism, immediately what we want to do is we want to make the baptism the thing, right? Yeah, 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 I've been baptized, and so I'm clean. But who else was there? Judas was there. Judas was there, he had been with Jesus, he had received Jesus' teaching, he had received baptism, and he received the foot washing. Being clean is not automatic by being at church. Being clean is not automatic by being baptized. And what does being clean mean? What Jesus is saying is, Remember, John is writing this about what it means to actually believe, to actually be a Christian. Coming to church does not actually make you a Christian. Being part of a Christian family does not actually make you a Christian. Not all of the disciples are clean. And Jesus reiterates this a couple of times. But each of them received this washing. We are told we will know them by their fruits. But sometimes those fruits take time to show up. Right? Judas' fruit is finally demonstrated this night when after having been washed, he shows that he's not clean and he rejects Jesus. and he betrays him. One of the saddest things that happens is when somebody close to Jesus rejects him and turns away from him. When children of the church who grow up under his care and instruction, through the gift of loving parents, through the gift of the church, through Sunday school teachers, through pastors, through worship, through baptism, and even through communion and discipline that puts away sin from us so that we learn to behave well. right? All of these things are good gifts from God, and yet we see children who take all of that, receive all of that, and then reject Christ. Or long time members who refuse to have their sins confronted and be cleansed. Or even officers of the church who, having taught others the path, do not find it themselves. These are sad, sad events. Judas betraying Jesus is a sad, sad thing. And so in verse 17, Jesus says, If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Knowledge of what Jesus came to do is not enough. Will you be washed by him? And then will you pray with his people, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That is the washing. Having seen your feet and how dirty they are, trapped, entangled in the sins that so easily entangle us, right? Will you drag them out of the clay once more by his strength for him to wash them? What a gift that is. Let's pray.